worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great praise our God this morning.
seated for just a moment. We are glad you're here with us this morning. If you're a visitor with us, a guest with us, maybe this is your first time or you're new here, we are especially glad that you're here. We're thankful and honored that you would spend time out of your week with us here at Broadway. Uh, there's a Connect card on the side perforation of your bulletin. We hope you got one of those as you came in. If you would do us a favor, fill that out, rip it off, and you can either drop it in the offering plate here in a minute, or if you miss the offering plate, that's okay. We've got a couple of black information boxes at our Welcome Center in the back of our sanctuary. You can drop those in on your way out. That's just our way of getting to know you a little bit better and learning how we can best minister and serve you and your family. At this time, I'm going to introduce our pastor, Dr. Daniel Osmond, and he's going to lead us into the next part of our worship service. Chris, thank you so much. I want to encourage you to open up your bulletin, and there should be an insert in there. So you want to pull out your bulletin insert and flip on the back side of it, and it should have the list of Sunday school classes. Today, we have Sunday school from right before the service from 10 to 11. Today, it will, or was, I guess now, Promotion Sunday. So we're gonna, we recognize at the 9 o'clock service uh, our Sunday school teachers, and we want to recognize those who are here at the 1109 service. So if you see your list on this, you see your name on this sheet here, that means you're a Sunday school teacher. I want to invite you to come fall right now. So you want to look and see if your name's on the Sunday school list, and come on forward. Zach, if you want to come forward again, you can do it twice. I don't have a, two certificates for you, but you can come on forward. So <clears throat> Zach came at 9. He goes to both services, so he, he gets the gold star. Now, y'all come up on here on the stage. Our Sunday school teachers, every Sunday, um, they prepare their lesson. They're praying for their classes. If you do not know where to go to Sunday school, you can find it here in your list. When the service is over, you go to our Welcome Center. Sunday school is the connection point here at Broadway Baptist. A great way for you to connect. All right, I'm going to call out. I'm going to call out these names, and we're going to, um, well, first we'll recognize Zach. So you don't have, I'll have a certificate for you. But Miss Kelly Sword. All right, Millie Snyder. James McLemore's not here. Alice McClanahan, I don't think she is here. Nancy Lentz, I know, is out of town. Miss Brenda Isaacs in the nursery. Missy Graham. Missy. Mike Edmond. Miss Karen Edmond. Denise Davis. She's probably downstairs. Nancy Crawford. She's in the nursery. Jim Addis Adamson, our Sunday school director. And Miss Carrie Adamson. So all right, these are our 1109 Sunday school teachers that were uh, that are here today. Let's give them a wonderful round of applause and thank them for teaching every single week our Sunday school class. So thank you so much for serves. Y'all can be seated. So thank you, Chris, for letting us do that and honoring and recognizing our Sunday school teachers. This time, I think we're going to have our offering. So I want to invite our ushers to come on forward and be able to pass our offering plates. We have Gene King's going to come forward and say our offertory prayer, and you'll be able to certainly give back to what the Lord has blessed you with. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a beautiful day. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have to come to your house to worship you. Thank you, Lord, for each person that has come out today. May they receive a blessing from being here in the house of the Lord. Now we come to that time, Lord, where we can give back just a portion of what you have given us. And may you bless it, bless the gift and the giver. And be of the service, be of the pastors, he brings us the message. And may everything that's said and done here honor and glorify your name. For it's in the precious and holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's continue to worship together this morning. Treasure for the traitor. No ear has heard, no eye has seen. The image of the Father. 
stand and join us. my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my Savior on that cursed tree his body Messiah. 
Son Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross and the grace that we receive through that. God, we love you. We thank you for our time this morning and we pray that you're honored in it. It's in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So I'm here at ILC. We've got a stateside group in this week and I've uh, been in meetings all morning. First meeting started this morning at, at 7 a.m. Uh, but I'm actually just 36 hours off the plane coming back from Singapore. Uh, three hours sleep last night. Jet lag has set in. Uh, I was uh, up early at 2 a.m., never went back to sleep. Uh, it's just after lunch, and I've hit the wall. So I'm going to sneak in here, make up a bed, take a quick nap, and then I can hopefully get back to work. sheets. How's a man supposed to sleep? I'm, I'm so sorry to bother you, Dr. Chitwood. I know you're taking a nap, but I just thought you'd like to know the fitted sheets have arrived. The fitted sheets? I asked the question, what would you do if you were present for a day? The answer was fitted sheets for ILC. The fitted sheets are here, and I approve. The ILC, that is the um, 
International Learning Center there with the uh, uh, International Mission Board <coughs> with our um, Southern Baptist Convention. And um, that's uh, um, Dr. Chitwood. And that's exciting to see what God is doing through our mission board. So um, not just with the fitted sheets, but certainly with the ministry that when we give to Broadway Baptist, much of our giving goes, 10% goes to a cooperative program, and then they roughly 50 of that, 50% of that stays here in the state of Kentucky, and they send the rest of that, and much of that actually goes to the mission board. So when you're giving here to Broadway, actually goes to supporting our missionaries overseas. So it's encouraging to see. If you have your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, verses 9 through 14. You also, in your bulletin, I know earlier you looked at your list of different Sunday school teachers. If you flip it over on the back side, we are beginning here a sermon series on revival. What is revival? Revival is when all of a sudden the people of God are awakened and they come to newness and a freshness in knowing the Lord. It starts with the people of God and the house of God. So we're going to be looking here leading up to a revival scheduled next month at our church about how to be awakened, how to have a great move of God in our life. And when we think about revival, we always think about, I want a touch from the Lord, I want a newness, I want a new wind that blows into my life, I want to certainly experience God, and that's what a revival is. Revivals don't, don't begin with lost people, it begins with us as believers in Jesus we come into a newness in knowing the Lord, a closeness. And so revival is something that you really just can't schedule it. It's crying out and calling out and expecting the Lord to do great things. Now, what we're going to see here in this scripture here is about what Paul does to Peter and Barnabas. Let me give you some background on that. What's happening here? Actually, first, before we do that, I've got a scripture here. First Peter 4.17. Look what it says here. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. Revival starts with us looking at our own lives and say, Lord, am I living? Am I doing the things you want me to do? It's an awakening of sinners, including us. Maybe we have sin in our life of coming and drawing close to God. doesn't come through politics. doesn't start with the White House. It starts here in God's house. You know, of all the problems we have, and there's lots of problems in our world today, it's easy to point to the outsiders. It's easy to point to folks outside the church, people out there, and say they're the problem. But when we look in our Bibles, we look what God has to say, He starts at us. Says, Lord, could I be the problem? Do things need to start with me? You know, and what's, what's going to happen here, the scripture we're about to read, let me give you some background information on it. Peter is the leader of the church, and he was there with Barnabas in Galatians chapter 2. And they're going to be confronted by Paul. And the unusual thing about that is Paul and Barnabas had already been on one missionary journey. And halfway along their missionary journey, there was a guy with them named John Mark. He's also known as Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Well, halfway on the journey, he quit. He deserted them and went back home to Jerusalem. Well, Barnabas, his name meant son of encouragement, so he's one of those guys that gives them a second, third, fourth chance. Paul, on the other hand, saw this guy John Mark leaving, and he's like, uh-uh, we're not going to bring him back again. So when they were getting ready to go on their second missionary journey, there was such a sharp disagreement between, between Paul and Barnabas on whether or not to bring John Mark that they had to decide to part ways. They couldn't come to a resolution. So what happened is Barnabas went on a missionary journey and brought John Mark, and Paul brought a gentleman named Silas, and then they went out. So that's what we, that's what we see here. But what's about to happen here is we're about to see where Paul is going to confront Peter over an important issue. Have you ever had to confront someone over sin? Have you ever had to deal with a problem? Have you ever had something where you're, you're, there, you're the whole time you're sitting there thinking in your mind, do I want to speak up about this? 
You know, this past week, we were, or we were down in s- extreme southern South Carolina. Down there along the South Carolina-Georgia coast, there's a bunch of little islands, and they're called the Sea Islands, naturally, because they're in the sea. And we were on one called Hilton Island, and we were going to take a boat over this island called the Fusky Island. Then the next island over that is called Tybee Island, because at that point you're in Georgia. So we're at the last island, the Fusky Island there in South Carolina. So we hop on our boat, and we're, we're there. Well, the guy who drives the boat, he apparently brings his dogs on the boat. So we're on the boat with the dogs, and these dogs, they decide halfway on the middle of the ocean right there, or whatever, the Calabogie Sound, out in the middle of the water, they want to jump in. Why, why stay in the boat when you can jump in the water? So these animals, uh, these dogs, they just start jumping in the water. And, of course, everybody on the boat's laughing. I've, I had to guess this was a show. <coughs> like the guy wanted this to happen. So every, the boat stops, middle of the ocean. And then these dogs, I guess I think they were labs. When, you get, when you're a big dog with a lot of fur, you get weighed down. They were overweight anyway. So they couldn't even get back in the boat. So the captain has to park the boat. Jump into the water, help the dog back into the boat. Now, the dogs are drenched, and everybody's laughing, taking pictures. It's funny and silly. But what happens with wet dogs is when they get back in a boat, I'm convinced dogs know when someone doesn't really like them. So the dog comes up to me, and what does a wet dog do? This is a true story. This is Monday afternoon. The dog stands right next to me and shakes. Water all over me. And only me. And I'm getting, it's wet dog all over you. It just smells bad. It's dirty, yucky water. The next dog, it finally got in the boat too. And people are just laughing except for me. The next dog comes and leans up against, not Esther, not Benjamin, but me. The dog's, I mean, drenched in water just leaning up against me. I've got my brand new island outfit on. I'm supposed to be on a sunset cruise, and I smell and look like a wet dog. And I'm sitting there thinking, everybody's laughing. And I'm sitting here thinking, should I say something to the captain like, sir, will you put a leash on your dog? Will you get this dog out of my lap? I mean, I don't want to go to the island like a dog. I'm just curious, who here, now two people raise their hand, who here would have spoke up to the captain and said, I don't want wet dog all over me. Anybody? One, two, four people, and one was a child. So the, four, four with Ray here. Now, that would have taken some boldness to speak up and say, get your dog off of me. Like, I don't, I don't want it. I'm a nice guy. I didn't say anything. That is an example of an inconvenience. I'm on a boat. Sunset cruise with a dog, wet dog in my lap and shaking all over me. Got a bath on the way. I got a bath too. That is what we would call a preference. You prefer not to have dog water all over you from the ocean. Amen for that. I got an amen for that. But that is not what we would call a sin. So when, you're, when we read in our Bible about confronting someone, we have to say, okay, am I confronting this? Is this an issue over a sin or is this about a preference? It's a preference not to get soaked by a dog. It's a sin to do immoral things. There's a complete difference. In a church, it might be a preference on which songs you sing or or which Bible translation you use, or where you park at. Those are preferences. Sin is something that directly breaks God's rule, God's command in Scripture. And part of Christian maturity is when we need to be able to say, okay, am I getting upset over a preference, over getting wet a little bit and being the butt of the jokes, or is this a sin against the Lord? So that's what we're going to read here in our Bibles. We're going to see where Paul is going to confront these two men over something that was wrong. So turn your Bibles here. Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. I want you to follow along. When James, Cephas, and John, those recognized as pillars. Who is Cephas? Cephas is 
Peter. James, Peter, and John. It says they are pillars here in the church. A pillar is a Sunday school teacher. We just honored our Sunday school teachers. Pillars are people like you who are faithful, who are here to serve, who love the Lord, who have a passion to see folks saved, that wake up in the morning and say, this is the day the Lord has made. They have a desire to not just be close to God, but to serve in any way the Lord in a local church. These men here were rocks. When tough times come, they don't fall away. They're saying, hey, we're rooted on the gospel. We're a pillar. You want to be a pillar. But what we're about to see here is that even pillars can make mistakes. Those recognized as pillars acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, me as Paul. They gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, meaning they accepted what Paul and Barnabas' message, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. The circumcised are the Jews. They asked only that we remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. So look what happens here in verse 11. Something's about to happen. But when Cephas, who's Peter, came to Antioch, Antioch's in northern Israel, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Whoa, what happened there? I mean, these are top-level Christian leaders. Paul is opposing Peter. Peter's the leader of the church. Peter's the guy that stood up and preached the Pentecost sermon. So something serious had to happen. Here's what happened in verse 12. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However... When they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Now, what this verse means here, Peter would eat with the Gentiles, meaning he wouldn't eat kosher food before these certain men from James. Who are the men from James? James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. James was also beheaded by Herod in the book of Acts. James was Jewish. He was part of the Jewish church church there christian jewish church in jerusalem so when james and the boys came up to antioch which is a gentile city all of a sudden peter thinks whoa i can't i can't all of a sudden eat with the gentiles i'm gonna go back to eating my jewish food so one way what happened peter on sunday is eating with the gentiles and doing whatever and then on monday when the when the jews show up With James, he thinks, well, I'm going to separate myself from these people and go back to eating, not eating pork and eating certain types of food. And Paul called that out because that is what we call hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when you come to church on Sunday and you act and live a certain way, and then all of a sudden on Monday you go to work or this week you go to school, school starts on Wednesday, And you're a radically different person than you were on Sunday. And Paul looked at that and go, no, uh uh-uh, we're not going to have that. You're not going to be a hypocrite Christian. Jesus went after the Pharisees. Do you know why he kept pounding on them? Because they they were hypocrites. Hypocrite is someone that's like an actor. One day you're this. Monday, you've got a mask on and you're a different man. And that is not the Christian life. Look what happens here. Verse 14. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told told Peter in front of everyone, if you, who are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? I skipped verse 13. It said in verse 13, The rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy, so even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So what happened here, by Peter acting this way, in one way when he's around the Gentiles, then the folks from the Jerusalem church show up, he's something different. Barnabas saw this, and he joins in the hypocrisy. Peter comes in, and and Paul comes in and calls it out, and saying, how on earth in verse 14, are you supposed to be able to win these people, Lord, if you act this way on one day, and then once they show up, you're something different. So you've lost your witness. And he had the boldness to speak up and say, if you want revival, if you want the Lord to use you, 
You cannot act that way. God has called us to a consistent lifestyle. God has called us as believers that we are to be folks, no matter what day or time of the week it is, we are to be faithful to God's Word. Now look here in your bulletin, sir. I hope you have it. Pull it out here. Why is it important to confront sin? This was so important to Paul, he had to speak up. He wasn't speaking up about a dog getting, you, getting them wet. He's speaking up about hypocrisy among the church, among the brethren, among the leaders. Because if Peter and Barnabas were doing it, they were going to lead all the other believers astray. And that's important. The best way to lead people away from the gospel is to live a double life. Here's why this is important to confront sin. One of the things you and I have to do is we have to know when it's time to confront sin and other folks. Number, Let's look at these examples here. Why is it important to confront sin? Here's your insert. Because many Christians aren't convinced that all people will be judged for their actions. Now I want you to follow this. If we believe the Bible, the Bible says we will be judged. We just saw that scripture verse in 1 Peter. That God will hold us to an account for our life. And if I see a fellow brother, a fellow believer, who's sinning against the Lord, and I don't speak up and say, hey man, you shouldn't be doing that, that's wrong. You need to repent. What I'm basically doing, I'm allowing them to continue on, and really I'm just, by my silence, I'm giving approval. And God will judge them. So, I basically don't really believe they're going to be judged. Do you know, the Bible says, for those who do not know Christ, there is an eternal fire. It's called hell. People who do not know the Lord is go to a place, the Bible described by Jesus, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. A place where you have a memory, you can remember, but you can't do anything about it. And what happens, we come to church and we hear about hell, and we talk about it. But if we really believe that people apart from Christ were going to this place of torment, the Bible describes it, suffering, the lake of sulfur, the book of Revelation describes it, we will be convictional in our beliefs and it will encourage us to say, hey, you will give an account for your actions. They have meaning in life. In the eternal life, we will give an account for what we do. Number two, today's inoffensive culture has unfortunately influenced Christians. We tend not to call it sin because it might offend someone. That's called political correctness. We, we don't want to say something to someone because it might offend them. I mean, I didn't want to say anything to the captain because those were his poor little dogs. And yes, they jump in the ocean and get everyone wet, but who wants to offend someone else? But the Bible says the gospel is offensive. The gospel tells people they're a sinner and they're in need of a Savior. Jesus came to die for our sins. It wasn't pretty. He, didn't, he was not a politically correct Jesus. Jesus described himself as the stumbling block. Meaning people are going to rise or fall over, over the cornerstone. Over this block. It will never be popular here in Lexington or our state or even in South Carolina. For being a devout follower of Jesus. We live in a world. We live in a culture that's owned by the devil, that's leading people astray. And we have to stand up for what we believe in. And that will never be a popular thing to do. It wasn't yesterday, it won't be tomorrow. Number three here, why is it important to confront sin? We're commanded to confront those inside the body of Christ, not lost outsiders. We go out here, there's all sorts of lost folks in Lexington. They do not know the Lord, they're not church today. They won't be at church next week or ever. They're lost. We can't expect lost people to live according to biblical standards. But we can expect the family of God, the house of God. If you claim to be a believer in Jesus, all of a sudden you just said, I live according to the Bible. God will hold me to a higher account. 
And therefore, if that's me, then if I'm out of line, I need a I need a Paul to come along and confront me for my sin. Four facts of being awakened. You want to experience revival? Here it is. I want you to write it down in your bulletin. Four facts of being awakened. Godly people can go astray. They can. Barnabas was a godly man. Peter was the leader of the church. They knew that God did not make a distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Now, they might have been making a distinction, but they knew the gospel goes out to all people. Jesus died for all. But Peter felt pressure that he should fall back in these old ways. He was led astray. It is possible for believers to be led astray. Now, led astray, remember, we're not talking about preferences. We're talking about sin. When the gospel gets corrupted, when we are doing things that are immoral, that the Bible makes very clear, we need someone to, in a kind way, to say, you have gone astray. This is wrong. And you have to be careful confronting people. You have to say, okay, am I confronting them over preference or am I confronting them over sin? Number two, you can't rely on your past. What's unusual about Barnabas? If you look back, we don't need to turn there, but in Acts chapter 11, verse 22 and 24, the Bible described Barnabas as a son of encouragement, meaning this guy had a reputation of being an encourager. So he was someone that was commended by the gospel, by the Lord. And now all of a sudden he's gone backwards. He, at one point, he was really close to the Lord. And now he's receiving a confrontation from Paul. He needs to be corrected. Just because you experienced revival in 2006 doesn't mean you don't need it today. Past victories don't mean future success. Daily, we have to say, Lord, I need to be awakened to the gospel. I need someone, to, I need accountability. I need folks that are going to make sure, including the Lord, that's going to put me on the right path. Because we have to remember, we live in a culture. We have a devil that wants to literally silence you and make you an ineffective Christian. Anybody here starting school on Wednesday? You know anybody starting school? More people are starting school. Hands went up. That would confront a man whose dogs are jumping all over you. They're wet. So that's encouraging to see. You're going to school this Wednesday. Exciting week. A new, a new year. Everything's new. Do you know your school is a mission field? You go into your school and you're going to be with classmates who are not at church this Sunday. They won't be at church next Sunday. They do not know Jesus. And God has brought your fellow classmates, the people you're in college and high school and middle and elementary school with, and God's brought them into your class, into your life, for the sole purpose for you to be a witness to them. You have a unique opportunity, really an unlike any other opportunity in your life, that you will have a variety of people at your class that you will be able to tell them about Jesus. School is a mission field. Everyday students, you should be praying, God, use me. Help me invite my friends to youth group. Help me be a witness on the college campus. Let me be just such a light to all these other dark people and students that are there that do not know you. But listen, just because you're on fire on the first day of school on August 14th doesn't mean come January 14th you'll have that same fire. Every day, just because you experience maybe a great gospel witness this week doesn't mean you'll have to do it, doesn't mean you'll get the same opportunity months down the road. We can't rely upon our past. It's a daily awareness of being awakened to the Lord. It's exciting to be able to to experience revival and allow the Lord to use you. Number three, you must be concerned about the holiness of the church. Meaning, 
if you know somebody that's coming to this church on Sunday and it's acting one way, and tomorrow at work, there's someone different. So you need to speak up and say, whoa, bro, this, this isn't the Christian life. You can't talk that way. You can't act that way. You can't be doing these things around other people. And on Sunday, you're praying the prayer on the stage of the Sunday school teacher. That is what the Bible warns us about hypocrisy. The holiness of the church. We represent Jesus. We are holy, meaning we're sanctified, we're called out, is what that word means. And we're set apart for the Lord. And He wants us to go around with clean hands. Listen, the same person you are in Kentucky should be the same man you are in South Carolina. How you are on Sunday should be the same girl you are on Tuesday. There should be no difference. Look, this sounds simple, but I'm to this, this leads more people astray. They get disillusioned. They're thinking, what on earth? I thought, I thought they were a deacon. They sure don't act like one. Don't they teach Sunday school? And it is, it's, you've, you've, this is what Paul went after. He said, Peter, Barnabas, no, I'm confronting you boldly. You can't do this. You can't be around one person around the Gentiles and then another person around the Jews. Number four and finally we see here, a double life is not the Christian life. It is not. A double life is Sunday versus Monday. Church versus school church versus work and you're a different person a double life is a hypocrite it's hypocrisy christ is calling us out of this so this morning being awakened if you want to be awakened to the gospel where is it going to start it's going to start saying lord open my eyes and help me see that i and not a double person. I want to illustrate this. My all-time one experience I've seen of a person who's living a double life. Years ago, I believe it was 2007, um, Daniel was one or two. I think Elizabeth hadn't even been born yet. We were visiting this guy. His name was Charles. He had been visiting our church a few weeks. And he invited Sherry and I and the family over to dinner at his house to get to know him better. And he was talking about joining everything. So we went to our house, very nice house, out in the country. And we went there. This is a true story. I think I might share this a couple years ago, but it's worth hearing again. We go there, and we have dinner, and the guy was just restless. I mean, he was just jittery all over the place. Go, you know, what's wrong? Like, you just tell something that's agitating. So we go and sit on his couch after dinner, and we're there, and they had a dog too, a big dog. <laughs> um, everybody has a dog, and so the dog came visiting me. And we're sitting there on the couch, and he's just bouncing around all just antsy and then he finally says i have a confession and i was only like i was young i was like 28 years old this guy 50 something years old i was like what is coming his wife's looking at him like what is what is about to happen she didn't know i have a confession i've been hiding these two bottles from you and they had a fireplace i don't know why they need a fireplace george is blazing hot but they had a fireplace and firewood there and he pulls out two wine bottles he pulls them out and he goes and puts them on the kitchen table and he says well, I knew y'all were coming. I went and hid these, but it's been bothering me the whole time. But I just want to—I just want to have clean hands, and I don't—I don't want to be a hypocrite. So I feel much better now. That's what he said. I, I don't want to hide anything from you. And that was it. He didn't open them or anything. He just put them on the table and pulled them out from the from the firewood. It was hilarious. I mean, hilarious. But the guy's hiding wine behind fire, a big firewood stack next to the fireplace, because. He was doing that because the preacher was coming over. And he realized, ah, oh, who am I fooling? He realized he might fool me, and I, I just, I didn't know what was about to happen. <clears throat> but God knew his heart. God knew, who, who are you fooling? And that's what it means to be awakened. That man was under conviction because he was trying to fool, and he, they wouldn't join the church, by the way, too, fool the preacher. That is what we call, if you're, fool, if you're trying to keep something from someone, the Bible calls this a double life. And that's no place for a Christian. 
That is what Paul pointed out. If you want to experience revival, if you want to be awakened, if you want to know the Lord, you need to ask God to cleanse and purify you from having a double life. I want to ask everybody to bow their head. We're going to have a prayer. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to think about this. Have I been living a double life? God, am I one way around folks and then come Monday, I'm like a different man, a different woman? If that is you, The Bible is calling you to repent of that. Or maybe you know of someone and you need to confront them. God is calling us to live a pure and holy life. With clean hands. Maybe you're here and you've never been saved. You need to walk this aisle during this time of response and say, I want to make a decision. Or maybe you're here. And you need a church home. Broadway Baptist needs to be your church home. It's a new school year, a new year, a new church year for you to join. Next Sunday, we have baptism. If you've never received believer's baptism, you walk this aisle, talk to me. And we, we can have you baptized next week. Following Christ in baptism. God, I pray for the folks that we respond to you. That you awaken our souls of seeing just like Peter and Barnabas needed Paul to point out the hypocrisy in their life. Lord, cleanse our hearts. Purify us. Point out any sin or inconsistency in my life, in our life, so we can be pure before you. God, I pray that this time of response, we respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand together, and I'm going to stand down front for you to respond to the gospel. Chris sings. of darkness you called my name into darkness your mercy came you called me out lifted me up how great is your love in my weakness you took my shame buried my birth
are so glad you're with us this morning here at Broadway. Uh, we're thankful that you chose to spend time out of your week with us here this morning. Uh, don't forget, if you're a guest, we want to have that connection card from you so we can get to know you. You can drop that at our Welcome Center on your way out. Uh, again, we're glad you're here. Hope you're paying attention to uh, the uh, bulletin and the screens for announcements or things that are coming up. One thing that we do want to highlight, don't forget that tonight we will not be in here, but instead we have our back-to-school bash and our summer carnival. That's going to be in our parking lot and all throughout this facility. Uh, this is a great opportunity for us as a church to, uh, to reach out to our community and uh, to show them the love of Christ. So as we are dismissed this morning, we want to have a special time of prayer for that event and for all of those students that are going to be coming through. Uh, let's pray together, and then we'll be uh, dismissed this morning. Holy Father, we thank you for the time that we have had together this morning. God, we thank you for uh, the worship that has taken place. God, we pray that you are glorified in that, Lord, and that you're exalted, you're lifted high, and yours is the only name that receives all of our praise, because God, you're the only one worthy of it. Lord, we pray, especially right now for this evening, for uh, our, our back-to-school bash. God, we pray that you would begin, even now, to work in the, the hearts and the lives of those families that are going to be coming through our parking lot, Lord. We pray that you would prepare us, that we would show the love of Christ well, that we would be a light in our community and an example of godliness to them. God, we pray that you would begin even now to draw them to yourself, Lord, that they would be receptive to the gospel, that they would be receptive to the love and the grace that you extend so freely to them. God, we love you. We thank you for opportunities like this that we have uh, to show your love for us to others and show our love for you. God, we thank you most of all for Jesus and it's in his precious name and powerful name that we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a good afternoon.